If you brought your Bible with you this morning, you might want to open it to Daniel chapter 2. And While you're finding Daniel chapter 2, um, I, I want to say a, a little bit about um, a certain issue. And I do hope that my, my motives are pure. I, uh, I'm not I'm never quite sure, but let's just hope they are. Gang, um, this time last year, about a year ago, <clears throat> I spoke to you about a book. It was quite the rage. Uh, the book was The Da Vinci Code. And it was, you know, made into a movie and yada, got all this press and yada, yada, yada. And, um, and I spoke to you about it because um, I thought it was very, very dangerous uh, for your souls. And, and then I, of course, knew or had discovered that so many of you had were, were reading it. And um, as someone who who cares, you know, I don't want to talk about myself being this great loving guy, but you, but I, I care about your spiritual well-being more than most people you know. I, I think that's safe and fair to say. <clears throat> And so I spoke to you about that book um, and tried to give you some kind of leadership over it. Well, this morning, I, I need to speak to you about something else that I, um, that I think will hurt you. I mean that. I mean that very much. Unfortunately, it's, it's not a book. It's a person. And um, that makes it even more difficult to speak about. A week from tonight, Joel Osteen will be speaking in Memphis. And very honestly, I could have probably ignored this whole event and just forgot about it. Were it not for the fact that um, it has come to my attention that... <laughs> that several of you bought tickets to go, which is a concern of mine. Guys, my purpose is not to say anything about the man. I have no right to do that, nor am I qualified to do that. But I do want to speak to you just for a second about the message. And and guys, you, you have just got to hear me... Um, that message will hurt you. It is the health and wealth gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Um, it is a message that ignores whole books of the Bible. Uh, it turns Jesus into a vending machine instead of a, a savior from sin. And uh, interestingly, ladies and gentlemen, you, got, you need to realize this. That's a message that can only be preached in the affluent West. Don't take that message to uh, to Ukraine or India, for heaven's sake. I mean, it's it's only over here that 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 message would even find an audience. It's a message that tells you, um, and I think confuses you with, I mean, he- guys, heaven is not. This is not heaven. Heaven is yet to come. And uh, I think those things are confused in that message. And really, it's nothing new. It's been around for a long time, that message. I mean, I, for one, thought or hoped, uh, maybe maybe 
<laughs> wrongfully, but I had hoped that the uh, the whole thing was debunked and discredited um, in the whole Jim and Tammy Faye Baker affair of several years ago. But I was wrong. Oh, it's alive and well. This past Wednesday night, I showed a, a uh, YouTube clip. And very frankly, I'm sorry I showed it. Um, we had we had pulled it right off of the YouTube. You know what YouTubes are, I hope. Um, and th- there was an inscription. There were some some words in green that were in superimposed on the tape. And I have to tell you, it's completely my fault. Uh, I really didn't notice them when I looked at the YouTube. I really didn't. I just did, didn't see them. And and those words were um, they were caustic. They were unkind. They were attacking. They were mean spirited and. And I, um, I'm sorry I showed that. I just didn't notice them when I looked at them. But guys, um, if you want to study the issue more, I, here's, here's what you can do. Um, just go to youtube.com and type in that name. And, um, you'll get more than you could ever possibly imagine. And enough, I hope, that will show you why I, and along with the rest of your staff, is very, very concerned about, um, about that message. Um, if you've got other questions, come get me after the service. I'll do my best. I'll try. I'm, I'm not the, uh, the Bible answer man, but uh, I'll do my best to answer whatever questions you may um, have. But for the moment, could I say it again in terms of that message? Don't drink it. It will hurt you. It's not good for you. I promise. And um, we'll leave it at that. Now, let's read some from uh, a message that will help you. (laughs) Not mine, but Daniel's. You follow as I read in Daniel chapter 2, beginning at verse 31. We're going to read to the end of the chapter. Here we go. You saw, O king, and behold, a, uh, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and to into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of men, the beast of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. 
Another inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw, the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be put in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay." And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage. But they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from the mountain by no human hand, and that if it broke in pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to, to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, truly, God is God of gods and, the, and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained in the king's court. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our God, that endures forever. You know, guys, uh, uh, if you're... I don't know, of my generation or from the generation below me, you really ought to enjoy this text. I mean, for a, for a generation that's been raised on, um, the Matrix and the Sarah Connor Chronicles and Terminator and, and Bionicles and PlayStation and all that business, you ought to love this. I mean, you really, really like groove on this passage. I mean, my generation, we were, we were raised on Star Wars. I mean, gosh, this ought to really appeal to you, this whole, this whole thing that's going on in the last half of chapter two. I mean, uh, it begins with this, um, uh, this image, mighty and of exceeding brightness stood before you and its appearance was frightening. Ooh. I mean, that, that really ought to, I don't know, you ought to like that. But folks, uh, that's really, uh, I mean, that's really not the scary part of this, this passage. And I hope you won't get bogged down there. Because the issue in this passage is, is not the frightening nature of the mess, uh, of the, of the image. The real issue is the frightening nature of the, of the message. And I hope you won't miss the message. Gang, this, this dream, this event, this image are all designed to communicate something. It's, it's not to entertain you and to titillate your, your, um, science fiction bent. It's a message. 
And, and the, the message is introduced. I didn't read this part. I read it the, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. But the message is introduced in verse 29. Let me read it to you. Um, Daniel is speaking to Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, to you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. Do you understand that? It's pretty simple. I mean, this dream that Daniel is interpreting over here is a dream about upcoming future events. This dream is not about science fiction. It's about history. It's about the unfolding of history. Um, Now... As for all of you prophecy buffs out there, I'm really going to disappoint you. Because, uh, you know, it mentions four kingdoms. And very frankly, guys, it, it, all uh, the identity of those four kingdoms don't, don't matter to me a bit. And, and really shouldn't so much matter to you, I don't think. Because the identity of those four kingdoms become nothing more than a distraction from the, the message of this holy man. Most people agree that the four kingdoms are, of course, Babylon is identified, that the, that the silver one is um, the, uh, the Medo-Persian empire of Darius and Cyrus, that the third one is um, the Grecian empire under uh, Alexander the Great, and the fourth one is the Roman empire. Most people agree about that, but it's not the point. It's not the point, guys. There's... There's a whole lot more important stuff going on in this passage than the identity of the four kingdoms. <laughs> this is, a, this is a, a, a dream in its interpretation that has to do with history. It's telling you four things about history. And, and that's the way I want to look at the text. It's telling you how history is made. It tells you a, a um, it gives you just a brief summary of human history. It gives you um, an insight as to the great watershed in all of world history, and it tells you a little bit about how to make your own personal history, or how to influence it at least. This is about. This is not about prophecy, so much as it is about. History. So let's take a look at it. First of all, um, this this whole story uh, explains or gives an explanation as to how history is made. Uh, How history becomes history. The, The only way that anyone would ever be able to foretell what is going to happen over seven or eight hundred years of history is if that someone had determined what that history would be and was then able and powerful enough to make it happen. Gang, one of the first things that should bounce out of this text into your consciousness is that this is a claim. This is a claim on the part of God to be sovereign over all of human history. Oh, it is a claim on the part of God to be sovereign over all of human affairs, which is, as I have been telling you, the point of the book of Daniel. I've said to you a couple of times already, this book is not about Daniel and, and the lion's den. 
It's about this God of Daniel who makes several claims and does several stupendous things in this book, but none of them are any more stupendous than this one. This passage is making a claim about God and his ability to not only predict, but to control all of human history. Guys, look at it again. Verses 36 through 38. I'll read you that again. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and in whose hands he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beast of the field, and the birds of the the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Guys, did you get that? Daniel turns to Nebuchadnezzar and he says, you, O king, um, are king because God gave you a kingdom. You're in the position that you're in, Nebuchadnezzar, because God gave it to you. All of this world dominion that you've got over all the beasts of the field and over all the men, wherever they live, says this. Guys, look at it. It's um, um, verse... 37, to whom the God of heaven has given. Uh, Verse 38, into whose hand he has given. Uh, End of 38, making you rule over them all. Nebuchadnezzar, you who rule over all this vast kingdom of yours, you rule because my God gave it to you. World dominion that you've got, my God gave it to you. You know this city on the capital city on the on the Euphrates, and and uh, which has inside the one of the seven celebrated wonders of the world, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. You know where you got that? My God gave it to you. You're ruling Nebuchadnezzar because my God put you there. That's where it came from. And um, Daniel doesn't say this, but he is. I don't know exactly why he gave it to you, Nebuchadnezzar. But all I can tell you is this. God is sovereign over all of human history. Gang, what you're getting in this passage is really a view of history, a Christian view of history. And there's a lot of implications. Could I tease out about four of them for you? Here's number one. First, God is not afraid to make promises. He's not afraid to make promises because he can keep promises. (laughs) Now, I'm afraid to make promises. Uh, I learned that very early on as a young father. Do you know how tenaciously your children latch hold of your promises as as a dad? But you promised. And I learned pretty early on, don't make any promises, daddy. Because there are so many factors, so many variables that seem to vector in on the situation and it changes it entirely and you can't keep your promise. So I didn't make any promises. Because there are variables that I can't control. I'm very reluctant. Still, by the way. (laughs) Uh, My kids are still holding me to that. You know, and and I'm still reluctant to make promises. And I, I don't make promises because I can't keep my promises. I want to. 
But the point is, guys, God is not reluctant to make promises. He makes promises because he can keep promises. He makes promises because all of those variables that would vector in to bring one's promises crashing down are under his control. Those variables don't knock him off of his committed plan. He's not a God who's afraid to make promises like me or you because he's in control, he's in control of all those variables. A second implication. Folks, um, I, I hope you can draw this out of here, but if not, let me, let me help. If God is raising up kingdoms and dispensing with them at his own behest, then, then he really has credibility in other areas of lesser significance. Wouldn't you say? That's just, that's what philosophically is called reasoning from the greater to the lesser. For instance, if I were to say to you, oh, I want you to meet my friend. He has a master's in uh, computer programming. Then it would probably be pretty safe for you to conclude that he knows how to retrieve email. That's reasoning from the greater to the lesser. We do it all the time. Gang, when you say that God is raising up kingdoms and dispensing them as he wishes. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, you may reject this. You may not agree with this, but that's what this text is claiming. That God raises up kingdoms and he dispenses with them as he sees fit. That's the claim of this book about the God that we just sang about. And if he can do that, then he certainly has credibility in areas of lesser significance. For instance, like, uh, let's say, oh, I don't know, my marriage. You see, I really ought to listen to him about marriage because if I mean, if he can raise up kings and dispense with them as he wishes, you know, I really ought to listen to him about my marriage. I really ought to listen to him about the management of my finances. I really ought to. Because if this God does this, oh my goodness, then what he tells me about those other issues, I really ought to take seriously. Here's a third one, folks. God is still God even when he is nowhere to be seen. You know, folks, that's where it really gets difficult for us, for me, for you, and, and not only for us, for the, I mean, the psalmists, the psalms are full of statements of the psalmist saying, how long, oh God, how long will you stand afar off? How long will you not do something? I, I'm sure Daniel um, might have sensed that too in the unfolding of those 800 years of history. I don't see you, God. I don't see you. But the plan is fixed, and it's unfolding whether I see him or not. But that's tough. It's tough to um, to wait for him to bring about all of his determined will. The fourth thing I, I would just tease out by way of implication is that nothing can rob God of his prerogative to have a plan for this world. Not the price of oil. Um, not Osama bin Laden. Not Chinese communism. Not, not the subprime mortgage lending crisis. None of it. 
can rob God of his... Because, as I said a moment ago, all those variables, all those variables serve him. Gang, this doesn't have anything to do about science fiction. This is a story where God claims for himself that the way that history is made is because he makes it. He's in charge of it. He determines it. Now, the other thing I, the other thing, or the second thing that I want you to see about this little story here is that it, it gives you a little brief summary about human history, about human nature. Did you see it? It even uses the word inferior. That is, if you start at the top and go to the bottom, every kingdom is inferior to the one preceding it, preceding it. You start with gold and you go from gold to silver and you go from silver to brass and you go from brass to bronze and you go from bronze to iron. You go from iron to a mixture of clay and iron. Do you see it, ladies and gentlemen? It gives you an insight as to the direction of human history. The nature of man is spiraling downward, which is the opposite of the message that you get from humanism or social Darwinism. Gang, do you know what social Darwinism is? You need to know this because it's everywhere. It's just all around you. It's, it's Darwinism with all of its applications in sociology is all it is. Uh, for instance, you know, uh, Darwinism or evolution says that <coughs> things are, things are getting more complex. They're, they're, they're becoming better and bigger and, and higher and things are, the strong are surviving and eliminating the weak and everything's going in a right direction. And so you take those principles and you apply them to sociology. Yay! For humankind! We're getting better! Everybody's getting better and better and better! We're gonna have a world full of supermen! You don't believe that, do you? You know, it must have been quite a shock if you were a, a Darwinian. I think the uh, Darwin's book, The Origin of the Species, was published in 1852. And it began to, you know, seep into the, the hands of at least educators. And, and then men got a grasp of it. And, and there's this optimism that came from thinking, oh, look at us. Look, it says right here, just like all of the rules in nature are applying down there, those rules were applying in humankind. And socius and our society is going to get better and better and better. And then all of a sudden, World War One, And all of that senseless killing and horrible things that happened. And, and so they said, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, we slipped off the track. We're, we're, but, but, but we're going to get back on. Um, it was, it was a bad, it was a bad day. And, um, you know, um, we'll do better and we're going to get everything back on track and keep moving upward. And then the Great Depression. And then World War II. And then the Holocaust. It's a bad day if you're a social Darwinian, ladies and gentlemen. But it's, um, it's a very real message that you're getting about the direction of where man is spiraling right from this text. It's going from here to here to here 
to hear, to hear. That's part of this message, folks. There's another thing I want you to see about it, just <clears throat> secondly. I think it does point out pretty, uh, pretty clearly that all of these kingdoms that are being discussed here are all standing on something that is very unreliable. They got feet of clay. All the kingdoms of men. It's very unstable. It's very shaky. Guys, Daniel's interpretation really concentrates on the head and the feet. Uh, on the, the beginning and the end of human dynasties. The in-between stages, he, he kind of bypasses, and they, they become the subject of later visions in the book of Daniel. But ultimately, the message that God would have you know, at least part of it, is this. The kingdoms of men are shaky at best. They're wobbly. Communism and um, fascism. Capitalism, Marxism, they all come and go. They're all very unstable. They all have their day in the sun and they collapse. Which brings us, ladies and gentlemen, to the, I think, the primary message of this story it has to do with the watershed of all human history. Hold on to your seats, ladies and gentlemen, because there's, there's another kingdom. In addition to those four, there's a fifth. There's a fifth kingdom. Look at verse 44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. <laughs> Gang. That's the heart and soul of this passage. That, that is, that there is another kingdom that, by the way, occurs in the days of those kings. It enters right under their noses. Uh, it, it occurs right when they're thinking that they're in charge. It's something alien. It's, it's, a, it's a fifth column. It, it, it arrives and, and everything else is affected once it arrives. It is a kingdom that is set up by God. It is a kingdom that is indestructible. Verse 35, last half. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. It is a, it is a kingdom that is indestructible. It is a kingdom that will crush all of the others. Look at 35a. Then the iron and the clay and the bronze and silver and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so not a trace of them could be found. <coughs> this, this fifth kingdom crushes all of the others. The image was intact until the stone struck. And once it struck, its destructive power began to spread to all of the kingdoms. It wasn't limited to, to Babylon. All of the kingdoms were destroyed. Every region, every kingdom, every people felt the impact of the arrival of this fifth kingdom. 
It is, it is an everlasting kingdom in verse 34, 44. It will never be destroyed. And it's a kingdom that centers upon a stone. Look at verse 45. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from the mountain by no human hand. Gang, the important part of the message to Nebuchadnezzar was not to give him some brief history lesson. It was to show him the inevitability of the coming triumph of the kingdom of God over all of the kingdoms of man. That's what this is about. Not about science fiction. Gang, the main cause of the upheavals that we have seen across human history is not the moral defect of man, nor is it social or economic factors. The main cause of the upheavals is the entrance and progress and expansion of this fifth kingdom. It's a new movement that that, that uh, came from, from outside, from above, uh, and, and it has affected the whole course of human history. Man had nothing to do with it. It was not of the earth. It was a stone, verse 34 says, cut without hands. It was a smashing, destroying stone. And its descent and entrance changes the whole course of human history. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the message that we have to proclaim to a, to a world of uneasy dreams and falling dynasties. And that message is the only hope that any man ever has. In the end, nothing was left but the stone that had become a great mountain. The image was pounded into powder. That day has not yet arrived. But it is as certain as the promises that were made and have been kept concerning those other four kingdoms. Gang, none of us will ever be at peace until we realize that whatever empire we may have that we think is our own. That empire must give way to the arrival and the coming of the kingdom of God. All kingdoms, including my own, will disappear. And there's only one that will remain. Now, guys, just so that we're clear about this stone, Paul mentions it in Romans chapter 9, verse 33. He says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. 
The stone is a hymn. And the hymn is Jesus Christ. One more thing and I'm done. It does include also, I think the text includes, just a just a, a snippet about how to write my own personal history. Guys, you know, we all long to know the future. We all long to know our future. I had lunch with a guy last week who um, who's a builder. And I asked him, uh, how long is this, um, this housing crisis going to last? And he said... <laughs> Jimmy, if I knew that, I'd be a rich man. He says, it's just a waste of time. We just have to... Have you noticed, did you watch CNBC, CNBC at all? When I'm on the elliptical, I I watch it every now and then, and and all these financial analysts are coming on and trying to tell people what to do with their money. And you should put it here and here and here. Everybody's going to gold and, and, and gold is where you, is your safe. And, and that's why gold is a thousand dollars an ounce. Do you know that I remember when gold was $38 an ounce? It's over a thousand dollars an ounce now. But they're all trying to predict. It's all such wasted energy. And I'll tell you why I say that. Daniel comes through this whole crisis. Nebuchadnezzar dies. The medial Persians die. They all die. And he's Daniel comes through this whole thing. And he, and he comes through looking pretty good. But my point is this, guys. Daniel wasn't promoted because he interpreted the dream. He was promoted because he chased after God. which made it possible for him to interpret the dream. Folks, uh, in these midst of turbulent times that we're presently in, forget about what the future may bring. Chase after God. Let this present economic slump Let it humble you. Let it reprioritize all of your values. Let it remind us that the Bible has told us all along that our God is in charge of history. And that we are to seek first his kingdom. Let it produce in us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness like we've never known before. And let's leave the future where it belongs. Our Father, I pray that you will... um, Make very clear what you would have said as a result of including this portion in your word. And if I have somehow botched it or made it unclear, I pray that 
you will straighten it all out, but that you would remind your people that nothing has caught you off guard, that you haven't slipped off your throne in heaven, and that though we cannot see you at times, you are nonetheless the sovereign of all human history. And and because of the work of Christ, we get to call you our Father who is in heaven. Lord, if you brought people here today who have not yet met uh, the, the Savior that you provided, I pray that they would see him in some of his beauty as the stone that came from above and smashed all human dynasties and became a mountain and stood strong. Give us eyes to see him in all of his beauty. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name.